Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by two first time, I think it's been a while since we had two first time guests. Mm. We are joined by a YA author. Sarah Farazan, hi. And hi. author and advice columnist. Meredith Goldstein. Yay. So since you're both first time guests, um, Sarah, would you like to start us off? My Buffy origin is the Christy Swanson film um, with Luke Perry and Paul Rubens, who I was a big Pee Wee fan. And so watched the film in elementary school at a slumber party (laughs) um, and was very confused by it. I'm like, but that's not Pee Wee. He's a vampire. Um, And really enjoyed the film um and then i i was a little hesitant in watching the show because i think i was so attached to christy swanson that i was like (laughs) i was a little like miffed for her like oh she could have really gotten in on this and i was in seventh grade i think when the show started um and then i heard about tara and willow and was like oh man i i gotta watch this um so I did, but not with the regularity um, that I wish I did, because then high school happened and tests and stuff. So finally, when it was on Netflix, I just watched every episode and was like, I totally get it. I get why people love this so much. And um, the show that I really watched a lot, uh, my too, uh, too much so, my senior year of high school was um, Smallville. And a lot of the writers uh, that had come out of Buffy had written for that show. And James Marsters was on it too. So, oh, yeah. um, so it's been a long. It wasn't my my first love, but it's my. Um, it's a. I guess it would be like your third ex, you know. <laughs> ex, it would be like you think really fondly of them, and there was no like bad blood, and you know, but they're not your first love or your last. They're just kind of someone that you really uh, appreciate and are glad that you came across. So like you're, you're Riley. Yeah. But <laughs> Riley sucks. Not Riley. Cause he's terrible. But uh, <laughs> who else did she date? like if, if she and Faith had gotten together, but no, that's too, <laughs> that too been combative. Yeah. yeah. But that's what I was hoping for. Meredith, do you want to give us your Buffy origin? Yeah. I mean, the show was really on when I was in college and I heard about it and, you know, I'd seen the, the first movie. Um, but it wasn't until I was probably in my mid twenties or uh, early to mid twenties and had moved to Boston. I'd probably seen an episode here or there, but they would play it on FX in the mornings. I would watch it before work and I became obsessed. And, and then it sort of went into um, my watching DVDs. And I think of it in almost since then, and I'm now 41, I've been in a constant rewatch of Buffy, (laughs) which became easier once streaming television happened. Um, probably on and off since then and not to be a downer but my mom died five years ago and then I was able to sort of rewatch again now understanding how brilliant that plot line plays out um having gone through it myself so it's and as an advice columnist I have to say like I get a lot of inspiration from episodes about breakups episodes about healthy relationships and I'm like a, it it is my current love and my past love (laughs) and my future love. (laughs) It's her first, her last, her everything. It's my first, my last, my everything. So (laughs) just, it's always a little bit on in the back of my head or on my TV. Uh, Meredith, I feel like we just became best friends because. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so a little behind the scenes, I had, I didn't know Sarah knew, liked Buffy because Sarah and I have known each other for a while to our listeners. Um, and when I said, oh, would you like to be like, I didn't know you like Buffy. You should be on the podcast. She immediately pitched Meredith to me and was like, oh my God, you have to have my friend Meredith. <laughs> well, I think, you know, Sarah and I, I don't, I don't know if she told you, but we, we are in a project we are, we are watching every episode of Batman, the animated series. Yeah. Um, in order on Sundays. And one of the things that Sarah's taught me is like the comic book influence on Buffy in terms of villains and through lines and heroes. So it's been sort of interesting to watch with her. But and she knows that I think of everything in context of Buffy. So. <laughs> well, in in Meredith's memoir, um, can't help myself not to plug it. But there <laughs> there is a chapter called Fangs, which talks a lot about her vampire love. And, and there's oh. Buffy specific things in there. So I, I feel like Meredith should write a Buffy advice book or like <laughs> I could totally you know, write like yeah. if I were in grad school I would do a big paper about you know psychology and Buffy and relationships or something yeah <laughs> I'd be so happy but she, she tolerates my Batman habit and it's it's been I'm such a too. great friendship and I know how much she loves Buffy so yeah it was totally uh, totally Batman the animated series is so good though it's so good it's yeah so good right you now saw, you saw recently they had that like oral history in Vulture that was really really amazing Oh no, we, we have to, to check that out. We need to I'll send. I'll try and find it and send it to you or over Skype or something, or have Ian send it to you. Yeah, they did a whole oral history of like how it all came to be, including, and they just got a lot of the original creators and uh, the guy who does Batman's voice talks yeah, about his first voice. audition. It's really cool. One thing we were talking about when we watched um, our episode together was there, there's an episode of Batman the animated series where you only follow the mechanic. And we were thinking of Buffy episodes where you sort of get a one character who's not central on yeah. the side. The the closest I could come up with was the Zeppo. Just be, it's not it's still Xander, but it, you know he's having his own yeah storyline. And then I was thinking today in the car that Harmony in Angel gets her own, yes. which is one of my favorites. But there isn't you know she asked she was like trying to remember if Sarah was trying to remember if there was a, a civilian who gets their own episode, and that I don't remember. Huh, yeah, think. it's very. It's it's also like a very desperate housewives uh, way of telling stories. Like they would often take like one character in the town and then just show how they tangentially related to like all the characters. But Buffy had never done anything like that. Yeah, yeah I think it would have been nice to see someone who like works at the mall or like the janitor <laughs> at the high school. <laughs> someone and, who works at the funeral home. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just what their day is kind of like. Like there has to be. Some, I mean, some part of, like, I always think of lo the last line in Lost Boys when the grandpa is like, one thing I never liked about Santa Carla, all the damn vampires, right? <laughs> so they have some, they know sort of that there's something amiss in their town, but they're still living there. I mean, I, I'm a, the property tax must be low or something. Like, I don't know. Like, it's a great school system. I'm not really sure. It's not not yeah. a great school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we all talk about that, how like people in Gotham like still live there. Yeah. And we talk about like, you know, if you lived in Gotham, like which villain would you most likely come across or how would you, you know, like, cause people still live. And, and then, you know, Meredith made the point that like, well, people live in cities where terrible stuff happens all the time in real life, you know? Yeah. So, um, and that we're both in Boston and, you know, terrible stuff happens here too, but we still live here and love it. So I don't know. It's just, but I just, I guess because when the fear is like vampires, right. then it's like, it's, it makes it, heightens it a little. I don't know. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think about that a lot too. It's like, 
especially like the Batman movie, like in what is it, Dark Knight, and then the Dark Knight Rises. Like both times, the like Gotham is completely taken over, and I'm like, why is anyone still there? <laughs> but it also, I, it's like kind of you know I think about that too. But sometimes I mean, like Gotham in Batman is basically supposed to be like New York City, and I don't think that there, there are a lot of people who would like never leave New York City for anything. You know, true. Like they'd be like, it, it doesn't matter. I don't care. This That's, is still the greatest city. It's like, oh, the Joker took over Midtown, but I'm still going to brunch. <laughs> I know. It's like I don't go to Midtown, so I'm fine. <laughs> Let the tourists get the, all that shit. You're like, ugh, Two-Face again. I gotta pick up my dry cleaning. <laughs> you know? Oh, the end train was late because of Poison Ivy. Like. Her and her damn plants. <laughs> I do like that she's so singular in her focus, though. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the plants. Um, so today we're here on a Buffy podcast. <laughs> to, no, it's fine. We always get sidetracked. Um, to talk about the season five episode, Blood Ties. Yeah. Yeah, and for some reason I always forget that this episode is a Buffy birthday episode. Yeah, because it's kind of like not quite, it's like besides the point. Right, they have like two minutes of presence, but really it's about other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it continues the tradition of birthdays being the worst on that right. show. Yeah, Buffy's birthdays being terrible. So, I mean, it starts out with them in the magic box talking about Buffy's birthday and how Buffy feels like it's inappropriate for her to have a birthday party, but everyone is very gung-ho about yeah them having a Buffy bash. Um, and they, you know, I, starting with, I think the episode triangle, all of these episodes now are like one, like right after the other. Um, like the watchers council, like I would assume just left like the day before. And they're discussing kind of also what they found out, like about glory being a God. This is one of the first times I've noticed Willow so, like, my best friend, Kimberly Ann, who has been a guest on, we always joke that, like, when I'm upset, she's, like, overly optimistic, and she'll call it, like, her annoying optimism. Willow totally does this with Buffy. Um, and it's actually really cute. I mean, they just... Those two actors have such good best friend chemistry, but Willow constantly trying to be, like, like when Buffy's like, but she's a god, and Willow's like, you know what they say, the bigger they are, and then Anya's like, the faster they stomp you into nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Anya's like, my favorite character. Like, Anya's just like, no, there's no, like, positive spin on this. Right, and it, it sort of starts to lead into the idea that she's not going to win. I mean, it's like these yeah. hints are being dropped that that she can't, she can't really do this one. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, this season does such a good job with that, like, setting everything up. Uh, and then, I don't know if you guys caught, like, when Tara's, like, upset that Glory can suck brains... And it's like, oh, but then Tara gets her brain sucked. Right. Like. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I kind of, I like them all sitting around. Like, I, I like these scenes of, like, getting to see them be friends, but it's still, like, involving the plot. Like, they're talking about glory, but they're literally just sitting around, and I kind of like that. And, you know, Anya gets the line where she's like, I know way more about demon dimensions than Giles. And everyone looks at her, and she's like, well, I do. Like, I like, <laughs> I really like that Anya is realistic about what's going on. And also she's like, she is helpful. She is. I mean, she does know more. And yeah. I do like, there is this thing, like as they sort of become real grown ups, like as college progresses where Giles, like his place is, and this is hinted at later in the episode, like what it, he's like kind of making tea, right? I mean, his place is sort of in and around and how important is he and how much of, of the group leader is he at all? 
but I think Anya threatens that. And Anya just, I mean, she has experience, whereas Giles does not. You know, that's that whole thing about Watchers, like, not being in the field, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Like, she is the field. Yeah, she is the field. <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? Because so we, we talk about a lot on the show, like, when you get rid of characters, who's going to fill certain roles? And it feels like Anya in a lot of ways, filled Cordelia's role because all the gang would have their ideas and then, like, Cordelia would comment on them. Um, And she was, like, a Greek chorus in a lot of ways, and Anya's like that. But she has so much more knowledge about the demon world, obviously, than Cordelia and anyone else who's there. So once uh, Giles kind of leaves in season six, it makes a lot of sense for Anya to step into the role to be like, well, there were these monks who used to do this, or there's a demon who used to do that. And like, she kind of has all that knowledge. So it's interesting that she is both the Giles and the Cordelia. (laughs) But I I love both Anya and Cordelia. They're my favorite characters in the show. And I think it's because they're just very um, direct. Yeah. Also, they don't, it's not that they don't have a filter. It's just that they're very, like Anya for her thing is like, she's learning about, you know, this new life and new world and all that. Whereas Cordelia is also learning about new life, new world in the demon vampire element, but she still just wants to, you know, get the guy and be the queen bee and um, has very human. They both have very human like questions and wants. Whereas I think everyone else kind of, they get sucked in the adventure or the mission and, and um, those two are just very, you know, they're, they're with the team, but they're also very, what can I get out of this? So I guess they're like the gambit of, <laughs> of I don't know. Um, Sarah, but lo- loving Cordelia and Anya be your favorite is the correct answer on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, think, yeah. It's kind of not great for my love life. Cause I think I like that type and <laughs> romantically, which is very like, you but know. you know, both of those women tend wind up being pretty great partners in the context That's of true. the show. Yeah. So, to shitty Xander, to, to, to shitty Xander, um, yeah. and and you know, and you know, it's interesting to some extent. Glory, you know, who I have a whole lot of mixed feelings about, is also like if you were to take Cordelia and turn her into into a supervillain, like yeah. a high school Cordelia, that sort of. Um, mean girl in a in a fancy dress like glory's got a little bit of that in her too as Mm -hmm. as a god yeah um yeah and even in after she meets glory like the next episode she says like giles is like can you tell me anything more about her and she's like actually she was kind of like cordelia (laughs) one of the first things that they kind of turned to was that all the all the everyone in the group was kind of like well we need to find out about this key and buffy and Buffy decides to tell them about Dawn and they're kind of upset that they never knew about Dawn. Right. Um, and I can kind of see both sides. So I'm trying to, I would love to hear it from everyone what they think about Buffy keeping the information as long as she did. I, I don't really care about her not telling the rest of the Scoobies about it. I do think telling Dawn about it would have been better and they might've, you know, like been more prepared for that instead of her finding out on her own. But when the Scoobies do find out, like, like Dawn, like picks up on their vibe, right? When they're all like, Oh, Hey Dawn, you know, and that's what kind of prompts her to, to look in to it more. Well, I assume that Buffy's intention is for her to never know. Right. But I assume that, but, um, but I think it would have been better. I mean, I don't know, like to have let Dawn, I mean, but then again, it's like, then she might, 
I mean, she's always going to freak out. There's no way to not freak out with that information. But I mean, it's like a running theme in the show, right? Who gets to know what? And I think about later on when they bring Buffy back, right? Um, and it's Spike who's saying, "You didn't. I have. I have fought beside you, and yet you didn't. Yeah. You didn't tell me." And like, who is who gets the information? Um, I feel like that happens a few times in the series. So uh, you know, and the lesson is always like just just tell them I guess um yeah like I I feel like she doesn't wait that long no. <laughs> I mean at least in episodes what is she only has she knows and then what does she have it as a secret for like an episode basically two maybe well she's known for a while yeah while so we, yeah but like I guess I guess it's her and then Giles and no I guess I guess that is the case but she's got a lot going on and yes. um I feel like the moment she tells them is the right is the right moment. Of course, like the whole episode winds up being a right. series of reveals at that point. And also it's kind of, I don't know, I don't, I mean, you don't like it when you walk into a room and you feel like people are talking about you. So like Dawn, like that whole day of the birthday, it's just people like kind of talking about her, like t- tensing up when she's around and like yeah. acting weird. And um, I don't know, that's like not a great feeling. I mean, I'm always pretty, I always try to be sympathetic with Dawn because I feel like I would be upset about all of this now at 35, let alone yeah. as a teenager. <laughs> right. And um, and I, I know people's, you know, kind of love-hate relationship with Dawn, but yeah. um, I've always been a big fan of Michelle Trachtenberg from uh, Adventures of Pete and Pete <laughs> and then Harriet the Spy, which I was like, okay, I think sometimes she's being a little much, but um, she's a good actress. I yeah. mean- like, to be in that plot point, like, to be like, okay, by the way, you're a key, right? And then be like, what does that mean? And how, and it's like teen angst, but to like a very existential level. And I don't know. Right. <laughs> she does a great job with it. I mean, I, I get why, you know, she's sort of the scrappy-do um, <laughs> in that in that situation. But but I think she's she's done a great job. I don't know. I agree. She's uh, really fine now. She doesn't care. She's yeah. Yeah. But Michelle Trachtenberg, you're great. <laughs> this this conversation reminds me of a lot of like season seven conversations about power and stuff like that because I feel like the conversation or the reason that Buffy does it is like she it's definitely like a power move or something like that it's like she has this piece of information that she knows about uh, that she got from the monk saying that Dawn is the key and then she lets Giles into it first. And then tells her mom and like she is slowly sharing it, but it is this weird or not weird, but it is this like typical Slayer thing where it's like she kind of closes ranks on who gets to know. Yeah. And it is a weird, it's not a weird decision, but it's like I can understand why her friends are upset because they've been fighting demons together for five years. And they're kind of like, why now? Like, why with this piece of information? But also like, I definitely like... The, the time between how long three these three people have known versus when she tells people and they can't keep it a fucking secret is so <laughs> short that, like, you know, I would have known that they would have fucked it up. I guess, but it is the lesson every time. It's like even when they were in high school and it's like she comes back, it's like, I wish I had told them. I You know, she doesn't tell them killed angel after he turned like every single time she doesn't tell those two people specifically she's sort of punished and in this case it's you know it passes over pretty quickly but it is an indicator that she will continue to do this forever you know because 
the less people know, the less danger that might come across Dawn is her way of thinking. You know, if Glory corners one of them and, like, can do some, like, brain drain and then, or something. Right. It, and, it's also interesting because, like, the beginning of the show is her deciding, like, who to tell about being a slayer. So it kind of feels like the same, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I always like that about alter egos because they felt very, like, the gay coming out thing to me. So, like, when I did watch Smallville, I, like, really liked Clark more than, like, his powers and stuff. Um so I like the idea of like the. I mean, I know it's not that. It's it's, it's this. It's it's Buffy knowing her younger sister is gay and telling only a few people. <laughs> I love that. Which is the episode when Joyce says, "I'm trying to be the head of the Slayer Pride Parade," where yeah. you know, yeah. her mother having to accept that her daughter has these superpowers, which comes with danger. Um. So then after that, we get a scene that I actually really like, where the minions are attacking the Knights of Byzantium, who were just introduced in the previous episode, who are a very weird introduction that, like, really we didn't need, but it does lead to some cool fights. It's some good fight scenes, yeah. You know, I love that the minions are immediately, like, taken down. And then Glory comes in this, like, glittery sequin, like, pantsuit, and I just love it, <laughs> and kicks the <laughs> shit out of all of them. aesthetic is such a confusing thing to me, yet, um... She has quite a look in, <laughs> in in her whole run, and especially in this episode. Yeah. I don't know. I just love the idea of her putting on, like, glittery pants and a glittery top and, like, heels to be like, this is what I'm going to go kill those knights in. Yeah, she's like, she, like, walks into Game of Thrones in that outfit, basically. <laughs> Shiny sequence doesn't say God. I'm not sure what does. <laughs> Courtney Enlow wrote a piece for sci-fi about why she loves Glory so much. And it was kind of about how, like, Glory is, like, a villain villain. There's no moral ambiguity there. And she's, like, very feminine. And that just is what it is. Like, um, and how she really liked that for a villain not to have to, like, who's in charge and with all the power doesn't sacrifice any, like, femininity. Um, and how usually with, like, someone who's, like, brawling like that, they usually sacrifice some of that. Yeah, I mean, she is, you're right. She sacrifices none of that. In fact, it's, like, it's kind of her calling card, I guess. I think I was just thinking about how much we always talk about Glory. I mean, we're on season five, so we should be. But um, I think one of the things, too, is that it's the first time the show allow, uh, has Buffy fight another, like, female-identified big bad. Because all the big bads up until then have been male. And it's always kind of been this very, like, little girl versus the world versus patriarchy kind of metaphor. And I actually think that Glory works works totally differently, right? Like, none of those metaphors can project onto the Buffy, um, Glory, you know, dyad. It doesn't work, but it's also very, that it changes it psychologically to have to deal with, like, someone who in a lot of ways is, like, acting like how Buffy would act if she had never become the Slayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty deep. Like, the only thing she really can't conquer is herself. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, Glory kicks the crap out of the knights very easily. Um, I really liked the the framing of the scene where she punches the one knight, like, off screen. Mm. Uh, I just think that's, like, really bad. Like, she's just standing there and just, like, one punch and the guy goes flying. Uh, um, so then, <laughs> then we get, you know, the credits and then Dawn walking up to the magic box. And Willow and Tara are doing their spell. And Willow and Tara... I feel like of the group are the most tender with Dawn. Yes. And like in this scene, she's still being shitty, but like they're still 
sweet. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're also good at like not giving it away. Like (laughs) Xander are so bad at it. Xander especially. I mean, Anya, you know, is Anya. So you can't really. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, you, but Xander, he's like, there's this whole like, Oh, Hey, don't, you know? And you're like, come on. Like you are just, why is he so bad at everything? They keep him around. And then sometimes I look at his wardrobe and I'm like, am I Xander? I think I am. Like those, like those Hawaiian t-shirts he wears. I'm like, oh, that's a look. And like everyone hates. I'm like, oh, but I would. Yeah, that means you're kooky and zany. And I'm just like, oh, no, I'm Xander. You were not. You were not. Xander. I, it just, ugh, man. But but yeah, he's he's not great at hiding his he's not great at hiding his feelings in general. Right, right. Um, um like and he's really like terrible to spike and um which i get but it's still kind of like all right well he's sort of in the fold now you can yeah you kind of have to like drop that shit yeah um i I mean i love anya being like you make a very pretty girl because that's (laughs) that's me lying like i'm such a bad like liar that that would be me (laughs) (laughs) uh then i wanted to point out matthew that we talked about it feels like there's like four different episodes leading up to this one where it seems like Dawn finds out, but she doesn't actually, right? Yeah. Because I think we had even said in the episode for Triangle, Dawn finds out at the end, but she doesn't, I guess, right? Well, I don't think it's that she found out. It's that, like, she heard, like, she's been hearing all this stuff about her, but never has, like, had anything confirmed. But yeah, she knows a lot more than I think we, we know she knows or something like that. I don't know how to use, I don't know how to speak right now. <laughs> what are words? Yeah, I, I guess it's supposed to be like she knows something like, quote unquote, isn't right, but like, doesn't right? Like know. she suspects that there's something about her. Like there's something going on that they're not telling her that they're not telling her because it's something related to her, and that's why she's like such a shit for the first half of this episode, or <laughs> for most of this episode, um, or for most of the series. <laughs> yeah. But she she does that whole thing like, oh, because I'm too young, you don't think I can handle the scary? And she thinks it's more like, you know, kind of little sister stuff. Like, I'm grown up, I can go to the party, right? It's just on a on a different scale. Yeah. Um, but I, I, that she finds out in the way she finds out, I just feel like is really... I even, like, you know, I've seen all these episodes a million times. But, like, when she gets the shell, the shell frame, and Dawn's like, oh, I made it from the shells that we collected, and Buffy mm-hmm. gets, like, teared up, and then she hugs Dawn, and her and Buffy and Joyce exchange a look. Oh, boy. It makes me tear yeah. up. I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Anya's excitement about the gifts is very cute. Uh, oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. She's, she's like, I wish it was mine. <laughs> I was dying laughing for some reason. Like, she physically tears Buffy's gift out of her hand. <laughs> Anya's really into capitalism, huh? Or, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and then, so, we get a scene of Joyce, Giles, and Buffy in the kitchen, and I... There's too many scenes of this. I'm like, everyone is being too obvious about this. Like, go into a room with a closed door if you want to talk about this. <laughs> Not in, know, like, an open kitchen. Just, uh, they've chosen two open-air rooms away <laughs> to talk about something that, the like, has the whole mortal coil in its balance. Right. They're just, like, casually gossiping about it in the kitchen. And it's like, oh, Dawn could be in the other room, and she is in the other room. Uh, That was one thing that I was like, why is everyone being so loud? Like, everyone's really bad at the secret thing. I mean, not that Dawn hears them, but she, like, knows they're talking about something. And then Dawn is, like, very peak shitty Dawn. 
So then she walks in the room with the plates, and then she's immediately mad at Xander and Anya and Tara and Willow, even though they're not actually, like, at that point, they're not really doing anything, but everyone has spent all episode being weird. Uh, and then, you know, she says she, like, oh, well, I might hear something, goes up to her room, and, like, I'm just like, man, can't you just, like, give your sister and your mom a break? Like, they've been through... That's her sister's birthday, too. Yeah. So can't Buffy enjoy her one day? And no, you know? the, the answer in the show is always no. Buffy <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> doesn't get to enjoy anything. No. You know? That's the real sad. Being like a slayer it. means you can't have anything nice. No, no. Your boyfriend <laughs> will be Riley. No. <laughs> Wait, I do love that moment, though, when they're talking about presents and someone's like, man, Riley didn't send her a present. It's like, no, he didn't. Right. In the <laughs> fucking jungle. <laughs> But then Buffy's like, oh, well, you know, he's out. And I'm like, even Buffy has to make excuses for a shitty boyfriend, you know? But to be fair, they did break it's up. Like, like, yeah, they're up. broken up and he's in the jungle. Like, there's really no expectation for Riley to send you a present. No, no, like a, a card. I guess this was pre-text message. I or? mean, you think about how they broke up and, like, you know, as far as he's concerned, like, she left him to get on the helicopter alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you don't get a card yeah. <laughs> and also, this birthday party was announced four hours ago. Did anyone? <laughs> <laughs> but he has intel. He has all that equipment. He should know. He should know. I'm like, you left me on a helicopter for the jungle. Do not send me a birthday card. Yeah. Uh, Your pigeon. <laughs> Buffy, the day of your birth. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats from the jungle. Then Dawn, she sneaks out, and we get her with Spike. Sometimes Dawn is, like, weird Xander levels mean to Spike, but then other times, like, I really love her and Spike together. Yeah, I, I, I like this scene, and I love that dynamic, because it's, you know, one that she also transfers from Xander, I think, to some extent, where, like, yeah. she she goes from this back and forth of, are you cool, to, like, I have a crush on you pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and and also, he is just so humiliated to right. be or to begin with. And that she comments on his gift wrapping. I know. You know? I was and like, I like, listen, wrapping a gift is hard. <laughs> it's not a book, you know, <laughs> like square rectangle. Yeah, then I can't wrap it at all. That, like, yeah. I... <laughs> and, and just that he made the effort in his, like, you know, creepy tomb. Can you just imagine him getting the scotch tape, you know, <laughs> folding the corners, making the sure. The funny thing is the right. box that he's holding looks like that same box of chocolates from, like, an episode ago that. Yeah. At the buff at the Buffy mannequin. Yes, it totally does. Props department. They just recycle. Right. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like the same box of chocolates that he demolished while yelling at the Buffy mannequin. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he has just a closet full of chocolates. <laughs> a closet full of chocolates and it's Yeah, so buffy. he's just ready. He's like, Oh, well, I guess it'll be a birthday again. <laughs> or I guess I'll mess up some other way. I guess I better have some chocolates ready. It's like the Russell Stover at Walgreens you buy on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. I feel like Spike would get Buffy, like, Ferrero Rocher's or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, a classy kind. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Oh, the, they're the chocolates that they're, like, on the... There's, like, Nutella or hazelnut. I don't think they can call it Nutella. With <laughs> yeah. Like a nut on the inside, and then there's a wafer, and then that wafer is encased in chocolate. With we have some right here with uh, nuts. we do, yeah, <laughs> we have some on our top. <laughs> yeah. Let me take one out. Ian, how do you not know what Ferrero Rocher's are? I, I like, I feel like I've never heard of that 
If well, you saw the box, you'd be like, oh, that, yeah. I know that box. Okay, yeah. maybe, maybe. And then everyone in the commercials, like if you can YouTube a Ferrero Rocher uh, thing, it'll just be like decadent, lovely. Right. <laughs> Their whole brand is like pretending they're luxury, but you can get them at Rite Aid. Okay. You can totally get yeah. them at Rite Aid. When you yeah. forget that it's Valentine's yeah. Day. Right. And my first my first guy that I ever went on a Valentine's Day day with got me Ferrero Rocher. And I was like, yeah, that's because like you went to the Rite Aid girl. Like we all know. Well, well. Like our college campus is near Dwayne Reed. I know what you did. Oh. <laughs> you did something, I guess. Yeah, no. Yeah. I don't know. My mom just usually gives me a card. That's about it. <laughs> My mom just sends me lots of Reese's peanut butter cups because she knows that's what I like. Oh, that's sweet. That's yeah. So would would the college boyfriend have done better bringing the Reese's peanut butter cups or the Ferrero Rocher? 100%. They're now like those huge, like, two-pound Reese's. Have you seen them? No. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, enormous. That's what I really want someone to get me. Oh, well. You have to, like, eat it with a knife and fork. Oh, I'll send you one. Oh, yeah. And it'll be totally platonic. <laughs> well, I think that there can be platonic Reese's in the world. Really? Oh, no. Well, I'll, we'll make winky eyes at each other. Does that count? That's, never mind. This derailed. We gotta talk about... Uh, Meredith, I think we have a, a, your new column in the works here. Oh, yes. Can there be platonic Reese's? I, it's, a, it's, it's a question I'm bombarded with in my columns so frequently. <laughs> You're like, oh, the age-old question. Um, so then we get Spike and Dawn in the magic box. Uh, and I actually think this, like, the scene is kind of cute, right? Just it like, isn't. And she does say, by the way, before they get there, want to go steal stuff. Which, again, we are starting to set up the yeah. <laughs> pull to which Dawn will steal things. Not <laughs> uh, a problem. And, uh, you know, as she's reading, she's, like, immediately connecting the dots because, like we said, she knew something was going on. Uh, yeah. And, like, she's very quickly remembering, you know, the people in town that, like, have stopped her to say she's not real or whatever. And then she remembers the snake monster. Uh, I that they cut, because I am the kind of viewer that is not smart enough, so I would be, it had, I like that they give you the visual to remind you, she is this person. I <laughs> of the snake monster. We're going to well, remind you of all these things. They also did kind of like a Chekhov's gun thing. Is that who it is? Is that the gun, Chekhov? Sure. Which well, thing? it's like that thing, like if there's a gun in, in Act 1, yeah. they're going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. So they did one of those things because... That, like, I've never seen you, that notebook that she's reading from is that notebook that Giles was writing in when she first walks into the magic box that we've never known that he has kept a journal all about Dawn. <laughs> yeah, which went like, when writing she... at it, in it at the beginning of the episode and then she finds it. I'm like, you didn't keep that in your home or like somewhere safe. You just kept it out in the magic box. <laughs> allowed from it in the kitchen because that's what they do. <laughs> so I really like when Dawn is reading from the book and Spike takes it. And he's like, oh, Giles writes as dull as he talks. Uh, I, <laughs> I felt like that was perfect Spike. And then him trying to read and him, like, not being so good at reading, I thought was, like, a really good detail. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all those years of being alive. Yeah. You know, just never really yeah. caring to do that. And uh, then, you know, we get the, the cut before, like, the quote-unquote commercial uh, where he's... Just that's you, Niblet. And it's like, fuck, Dawn, I'm so sorry. Like, then I immediately feel really bad for her. 
Well, and it's also like his, you know, we're at the point in the series where Spike is becoming more and more empathetic and we're beginning to root for him in all these different ways. But you're constant. They don't make his evolution too unbelievable. There are these moments where a soulless person would look at the teenager next to him and not realizes not realize that he needs to deliver that with empathy. He's like, whoops, that's you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, at least we don't see him run to comfort her you know it's like you don't even exist huh look it's you <laughs> yeah like oh crazy hmm. well, well moving how, on. How, yeah <laughs> uh, well what should we get to eat yeah 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 the only thing for me that i don't love is that like then dawn is back i wonder where they went from that right i mean i imagine she ran out maybe i don't know like that's I a good question it the conversation between the two of them and how did she immediately cope but dawn's coping mechanism tends to be booking from wherever she is yeah i've I've always loved that moment of like tara being the one who sees it happening it's almost the opposite of like or it's almost like a a your shirt moment where like she sees that there's blood it's like don't remind uh, me (laughs) (laughs) wait what'd you say ian i said don't remind me She's been dead for 15 years now. No. <laughs> no, she was on our podcast. She's not dead. Yeah, she's, not, she's always alive in our hearts. And you know what? I'm sure there's some spell that they could bring, you know, back yeah. to that time. And then it could never happen. And that's fine. That's what we'll think. Uh, you know, in the comics, they'll do that. Comic writers. Yeah. Um... I, I that's always so heartbreaking when Tara yeah. sees it happening and she has to be the one and and Tara had a really am I mistaken she had like a tough childhood yeah. or yeah. she yeah, she is a you know ooh sorry I don't know what that is that's okay <laughs> so, so it's the sound that plays from my heart whenever we talk about Tara <laughs> Same. it's the Tara horn she is she is always on the difficult end of things for sure yeah, and I do think that's why she's always more empathetic with, like, right? Would it be empathetic or sympathetic, or both? Oh, <laughs> oh. yeah. Uh, like, I feel like that's why she's like that with Dawn because, you know, she had and like Dawn. It's not that Dawn has a bad childhood; she has a good family. But, you know, Dawn's mother died, and then yeah. Dawn found out she wasn't real, and blah blah blah. So I feel like Tara's a little bit more like, hey, it's okay, even when Dawn's being, like, too much. I imagine Tara kind of has the idea of what being an outsider to that group is like. Like, even though she is a part of the group, it's sort of by proxy, you know? Like, had she and Willow not been in love? Right. um, Like, if she and Willow ever split up, like, who would she still have friends from the relationship divorce, I guess? Does that Um, make sense? Or, yeah. And, I mean, in season six, we do eventually see that she would stay friends with Buffy, because they do stay friends, which I do like. Uh, and she has a lot more history, I guess. Yeah, yeah, she's like been there in the trenches. But I, I mean, earlier on, I yeah. think it was kind of a like that's a tough group to yeah. join. I mean, it's it's always hard, right? Like being the outsider in a group of people that all know each other. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, you know, I actually I put that in my notes too, Matthew. That like Tara's Tara being the one to see it, and you know, I think Amber Benson's doing some really good acting because they have like a bit before that where Buffy's like birthdays without boyfriends like a new like tradition and willow's like preaching to the choir right <laughs> <Okay. Lesbians. Ooh. laughs> um i what 
so what do you think about the next scene where Buffy um, confronts Spike about what he, about helping Dawn? Because I think it's really interesting because Buffy and Spike, obviously in season five, have a lot of one-on-one scenes, but usually Buffy has the upper hand. And this is like the first time where I feel like Spike is totally in the right and Buffy is like acting out. Right, you did very easily. You know, you didn't keep me in the loop. He might have prevented that from happening. And also she's just mad at herself. And yeah. um, and also just her, her entitlement with him, you know, that mm-hmm. she can go in and just sort of storm in and be right, except she's very much not. I also think it's like a thing, they've talked about it in a few different episodes throughout the series where it's like Buffy tends to deal with her problems through physical violence. Yes. And this is like a very big, like, this is a, this is, is not a problem that can be solved through that, but she wants to show up at the crypt and start pummeling Spike as a way to like feel, to get out her anger. And he like actually won't let her do that and kind of forces her to confront how she mishandled the situation. I don't think anyone's really taught her like conflict resolution, you know, like, (laughs) like Giles as a watcher. I mean, uh, as a watcher, you're probably also a little afraid of your slayer like I don't know if that's like but there's kind of this thing of like yeah I'm your watcher and but they have all the power right so I don't think they really are like are they equipped to teach like conflict resolution or they're just kind of like this is how you kill a vampire and this is the lore I need to teach you but there isn't any like and how does that make us feel you know (laughs) I say this as someone who is not very physical and has never taken martial arts, but isn't that like the whole thing you learn with martial arts is like people think when you don't learn it that like it's about beating people up, but then really it's like when you learn it, it's like I really never have to use this because I'm really learning about like conflict resolution and I really rarely have to use my martial arts type thing. It's supposed to be a last resort. Like everything else is supposed to be, you know, you have to figure out how to get out of a situation I mean, he does, now that I think about it, this is a good question, because he does sort of force her to process certain things in her life. Like, for instance, the the first angel death, like he sort of fibs about there being a spell that he needs when, in right. fact, he wants her to admit. I mean, he does sort of do that. But I feel like at this point in the series, she's compartmentalizing to a level of, you know, between just finishing, or at least she thinks she's finished the mother's illness, Riley being gone, like, all of she there's a there's a a part of this episode where she seems less human as it goes on you know where she's sort of more slayer than than person well i mean that's kind of one of her worries in this season when she like starts talking to the first slayer and stuff like that that she feels like being the slayer makes her less human And, and it has i mean even like you know this sort of skips later to the episode but joyce is sort of like all these people are counseling her about how to be a sister as opposed to a slayer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think while we're discussing that, I do think that's like, all of that is what leads her to sacrifice herself. Like, I think that's why she, you know, in the gift, when she has that, that fight with Giles that like really upsets me when he's like, when she's like, we're not talking about this. And he yells at her and is like, we bloody well are. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, if any of you go near Dawn, I'll kill you. Like, that is absurd, but I think it's because this season she spent so much, so many times, like, her mom had to be like, Dawn is part of this family. We love her. We need to show her how much we love her. We need to protect her, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, she says to Buffy she needs her sister, not the Slayer. And 
Buffy spends so much time being the Slayer, not the sister, that I think that's why at the end she goes a little overboard with the, nope, fine, if Dawn gets cut, then we'll all just die. Like, there's no, you know, she refuses to hear anything else, and I think all of that is why, right? Well, I think also that, like, her and Joyce are talking about their different styles of love, right? Like, Buffy is saying, like, by protecting Dawn, I am showing her I love her. And your way of showing Dawn that you love her is, like, coddling her to death and making her soup. And she's like, my way of loving her is going to save the world. Yours is just going to get Campbell's some money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, surely Progresso. Mm. I don't (laughs) Um, It's their love language, right? Right, we... we recently talking about love languages and that is I, I don't know if one of the love languages is like kicking ass <laughs> I guess that's Buffy's but but yeah no it is it is I mean I always wonder and this is a more cynical take on death is her gift but like that whole concept but like she also gives up a few times and I think she becomes more willing to sacrifice her herself also with like an absolute exhaustion from life which is a really deep and heavy thing but like it, you know, you sense that, um, you know, especially after the loss that's that's to come. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's actually a really good point. Like, I hadn't thought of, like, their love languages, but I think that's 100% what this is, right? Because it's not that Buffy doesn't care. It's just that she also is the Slayer. She also needs to save the world and make sure Glory doesn't, you know, turn Sunnydale into dust. And... But, like, in doing that, she also is, like, it's not like she's ignoring Dawn. She's, all of this, I mean, all of this happens because of Buffy and because of Dawn, right? The monks put Dawn there. (laughs) I imagine she's just stressed out all the time. Like, Buffy must be stressed out all the time. Oh, my God, right? Think about your day-to-day life, like, when there's a lot to do at work or your family members asking you for something or whatever. And when you're stressed, you're kind of a little snippier, a little easier to kind of bite back and I just can't imagine if you are in charge of saving Sunnydale and the larger world <laughs> and making sure the hell mouth doesn't open and also your boyfriend you have to kill him and like all this <laughs> stuff that he's been through and prom queen and like all this you know and Cordelia wants you to not make cheerleader whatever like all <laughs> that stuff um, I imagine that makes you really an irritable person i mean she isn't in that she's beautiful and like you know very heroic and all that but but it must be like very hard to pull her out of that and be like look we got you some birthday presents and be like that's great guys thanks so much and it's like and you know fight this knight punch him in the face and then worry about this god trying to kill my family (laughs) and you know that this that you know i i can't deal with don's cutting right now yeah you know Um, which is interesting when a lot of the WB shows of this era kind of took on an issue because in the supernatural shows, they do without doing it directly. Yeah. They, you know, uh, cutting is, was, I mean, it still is like a thing. And, um, and when they do it in supernatural shows, it's like, they sort of address it the way in which another show that takes the topic on directly would, but because it's like, under the guise of a supernatural thing. Um, they don't have to be as like after school special about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and like, with this, like, it's like, well, it's cutting to 
like, am I actually going to bleed right, or is right. like a magic potion going to come up? That right. Way, like, know? am I a real person? Right. But, but it definitely, the, the metaphor, I don't even know if it's a metaphor, but it's there. Yeah. yeah and especially with her, I mean, we're, I don't want to get too far ahead, but when, you know, Dawn breaks up her room and stuff, that's a total teen, you know, thing. Um, teen angst and teen kind of existential crises of, you know, especially at that age, like, who am I? What am I about? Where do I fit in? But she's doing it on a on a supernatural level too. So it's instead of like Degrassi, the next generation, where they're like they have an episode on on an issue and then they hit it directly. This is more like it's under the guise of something you know magical. For me, that's one of the things I love about the show that it does both, right? So it does the metaphor, but it also sometimes will just do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we're getting. Dawn's angst is about a supernatural thing, but like in the greater context, that could be a metaphor about, you know, just being a teenager and, you know, her saying that her mom isn't her mom, you know. And I imagine, like, you know, as Buffy got older, her audience did too. Right. But also, there were probably new teens coming onto the show in later seasons. Yeah. Right? Where they were watching some other WB show, like Gilmore Girls or something, and then we're like, oh, Buffy, I'll check that out. And so I, I think too, when it's um, especially that network was so trying to reach younger audiences. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to make it fresher, not fresher, but like introduce a character who might be going through things that the audience is also going through. Okay. So then we get, oh, we get the first, I think this is the first, right, Matthew? The first get out, get out, get out. Yes. I was, I, it's the very first <laughs> will be a string. Uh, get out, get out, get out. Three times, like Beetlejuice. <laughs> get out, get out, get out! Like and it's a very guttural scream. Like, by the third get out, I'm like, I will. But don't you worry. <laughs> I'm leaving this house. It's interesting that, like, what I saw when I first watched the series as, like, a little bit annoying, and I, I'm hot and cold on Dawn, but, like, it's it's played, I mean, she does such a great job with it, and, and um, what else would you do, you know? Just if you find, and especially with her, Con, you know, concocted memories of always being in someone's shadow and to find out that actually you're a fictional part of their shadow is truly terrifying. Yeah. And be like, and, I, and she makes a point where like, okay, once you, like, let's say you don't need the key anymore, right? Like, then what becomes of me? Like, like who am I? What am right. I? Who are you to me? And, and yeah. And what's my function after that? Like, let's say you conquer glory and you know then do you still keep me around or are you going to magically make me disappear or what you know how does that work it, it's heartbreaking because this is one of the last scenes we get with Joyce where she's like momming it up where yeah. she is a, a support system to Buffy and it might even be the last scene where she's sort of in her best health and sort of advising and and there to be a parent right right because as Matthew told Jana Spenson when we had her on she wrote like Joyce's last line, which is like yeah. her saying, Oh, I left my bra because she was like on a date and she jokes about leaving her bra. And like, this is kind of one of the last times where she's like momming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's really like, we've just seen her recover or we think she's going to recover. And it allows her like this one nice moment of, 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 of helping Dawn, like, thank goodness she helps Dawn into this new space of understanding who she is. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad that Joyce was able to still be there for this, because 
I imagine it would have made it ten times worse if it happened after Joyce had passed away. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I can't, yeah. Um, let's go to when Jinx visits Ben at the hospital. Okay. Oh, uh, wait. Oh, Ben. Before we do, I wanted to point out that Spike is painting his nails when Buffy comes in to fight him. Yeah. And, and I, they're black. And I really appreciate that as someone who paints his nails. So, continue. Oh. You do it like every week or and, like right now, like they are looking rough and three nails have nothing on them. Um, but I try to do it like every week or every other week, but you okay. know, also lazy and they fall. I feel like, I don't know how people keep up with it. They chip so easily. I know. That uh, Jinx and Ben scene is small, but we can go to Joyce and Buffy talking about Dawn while she's in her room. Cause she got suspended from school for using bad language. Cause she yelled at a teacher. Yeah. Um, I want to know if she, like, did she call the teacher a C-word? Like, what did she say? <laughs> yeah. Like, she says that she's never heard her use that language before, so I really want to know if she's like, I'm not real, and you're that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, or, or was she just like, fuck off? <laughs> yeah, or like, algebra is shit. <laughs> algebra is shit. When she rips up all of her diaries, it reminds me of Harriet the Spy because Harriet the Spy ripped up all her journals. Yeah, mm-hmm. it got her in trouble with her classmates. Yeah, it's it's almost like she's been typecast, but not. I mean, I don't know. Like, but also that scene is very like I kept thinking of um, uh, Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest. You know, like no wire hangers ever, but it's like, you know, no more band posters ever. Whatever's up. <laughs> Um, and we've all had those sort of, I mean, not all, I can't generalize, but moments of kind of, you want to rage and, and I guess as a teen, that's easy because it's like, I didn't pay for this poster, whatever, I'm going to tear it down. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because like Dawn is like the angsty teen of the show and it's, she does get a lot of hate, including from me, but like the things that she's angsty about are exponentially so much bigger than the things that like most teens are angsty <laughs> about. Like it's most angsty teens are like, oh, will he ever notice me? And she's like, am I a, am I real or I am a matrix of green energy? <laughs> right. Am I, am I a human? I think she's a lot. I don't know. I, I really come around on her because I don't know. I like that sort of later on you're confronted with the fact that like Buffy actually had a much easier time socially. The Dawn, mm-hmm. even with her you know, sort of fake background really has no friends. I mean, she doesn't, this becomes a, a, this becomes a plot line that just like, she's a different teenager than Buffy was. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like her friends, like, Buff, like her friends are Buffy's friends because they're yeah, always yeah. around. Yeah. She just never has an easy time of it. She doesn't have an easy time with boys liking her. She seems so much younger than Buffy did at that age. Yes. Yeah, I think Buffy was just more outgoing, right? Buffy, of course, had the awkward fitting in. You know, we see that in Welcome to Hellmouth. But, like, she still, like, she felt awkward and a fish out of water, but she still fit in pretty quickly, right? Yeah, she she really doesn't. I think, she, you know, she finds her, she's gone from popular to geek, and she finds her fellow geeks. And I think just Dawn just clearly doesn't do that. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, and I think that's why when Dawn, you know, Dawn goes to the psych ward, and I feel like that scene is pretty intense where everyone's just, like, freaking uh, out. Yeah, we, we are, I'm watching that this time, yeah. because what did you say, Sarah? Like, where is the security? <laughs> yeah, I was like, where is the, like, I mean, I guess I I thought it was, like, a triage room, because all of a sudden there were all these people mumbling to themselves that they were maybe not used to it, so they just all put them in a room. But I was like, where is, like, if this was actually, like, a, a psychiatric you know, evaluation room or like, wouldn't there be more of a, like 
security element or a, you know, like more prevalent nurses. I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like, oh, I guess we'll just put them in this utility room over here. Yeah. (laughs) Hospitals are not as well run as we think they are. And and Sunnydale Hospital in particular, when I think back and for its history, it's not a great place all the time. Yeah. And like, did the doctors ever say themselves, huh, that's weird. That puncture wound happens to be at that artery all the time. You know, like, uh, or, oh, a decapitation. Well, that's that's a Tuesday. You know, like, I just think there's so much, like, who's working at that hospital? Who's, I mean, the pay well, must be great. Ben. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> it's Ben. Ben. Can we call Ben a glory hole, or is that not? <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, you know, I like when, anyway, we'll get there later, but, yeah. Ben. <laughs> a glory hole. Nice. Ben is like one of, I have to admit, Ben is one of my least favorite characters. I mean, he's a double character, I guess, but he is one of my least favorite characters. Well, he's kind of just like written as no one. He's a cipher and he's just written as a plot device. And so they are very like particular, I think, about not giving him a personality past doctor. Like, he's just like if that doctor who announces like your your health status was written as a character into several episodes of a TV show. <laughs> because there are parts of it where they almost seem like Buffy and Ben are flirting. That's what I mean. Like there's a number exchange where I'm like, she just failed. She just learned the lesson that the nice guy everybody tells you to date can also suck. And then she clearly entertains the thought of Ben where I'm like, and this is the this is the possibility after? Like it just gets worse. Yeah. I, but they I, both like saving lives, just like her and Riley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I wanted Buffy to just date someone who like had a really banal job, you know? Oh my gosh, I think Buffy should just date a stoner who works the record store. Yeah, it's like, hey babe, like I brought burritos. Yeah. And like that's, you know, that's, they watch television. You know, right. No kind of like, what are we gonna do tonight? Yeah, let's kill people. All right, you Matthew. Know? Like, I feel like that's perfect. Like a stoner who just like works at a record. Like that would be because like that's the low stakes. Like what happened to the lead singer of like Dingo's? What happened to Oz's lead singer? Like he probably ages into that guy. Devin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What happens to Devin? And he was hot. Wonder like what would happen if Buffy was just like high out of her skull and then like had to fight someone. Oh, that's an episode. <laughs> that is an episode that we are missing from the canon. It's just like what happens when Buffy is just baked so hard and a vampire comes by. Like, Ugh, I just can't right now. <laughs> the sequel to Beer Bad. Marijuana Bad. <laughs> but like, right, they could even do that as a metaphor. Like, oh, Willow does a spell that's nearby Buffy and it makes Buffy act high. She gets a contact spell. Yeah. <laughs> See Matthew, they should hire us to write for the the revival. <laughs> yes, if you're if you're listening, Monica, <laughs> please call us. Are they doing a revival? They are. Oh yeah. wow, it's a stressful time. Oh wow, okay, <laughs> it's a stressful time. Which they, um, as all TV, as all like outlets, a lot of outlets seem to like confuse the word reboot and revival. They were first saying it was reboot. Monica, who is the head of the show, she clarified that it's a new Slayer, so it's well, yeah. Once once it was not. You know, a retelling. I was. I took a nice exhale. And... Yeah, me too. I'm like 100 percent on board now. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um. So this is the first time we see Ben become yes. Glory. Yes. I do. I have to make the joke. Ben is Glory. <laughs> <laughs> 
But also, it was so funny to see, like, the the 2001 WB budget version of, like, one person changing to the other. It's like, it's black, it's white, it's glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good reference. But I do like that look of her where it's, like, her face but his body. I'm like, okay. Like, that's, you know, like, in his wardrobe. I'm like, all right. And then she just like casually gets naked in front of Dawn. <laughs> I must, I must change into this much more uncomfortable outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're a god, though, you don't have any right? insecurity, right? You're just yeah. like, I feel like you're like whatever. I look good. Who cares? Yeah. Are you also yeah. saying that maybe because she's a god, she probably doesn't have like any naughty parts? Oh, like a Ken doll or a Barbie doll? Yeah, like she, like she doesn't, she doesn't do that. I could buy yeah. that. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Or it's different. You yeah, know? or it's like something else. Like, right, or it's like Cthulhu. I do like when Glory's changing into her dress that I guess Ben has. But I mean, it makes sense that Ben might carry right extra outfits, so his outfits don't get like demolished when Glory's right. punching Ben the balls. knows. Yeah, um, and she calls Cotton pedestrian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was like a really good insult. It's- also the fabric of our lives, Glory. <laughs> and then when that when that security guard walks in, I literally yelled at the screen, this is traumatic for a kid, like... Oh, yeah, like snapping his neck like that, and I mean, it's just a long day. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long day for her. It's not even like it's spread out over the course of a week or something, it's... Also, there are, like, no cuts on her arms anymore. Right. Oh, I had not thought about that continuity... I thought about that because I was like, if she's going to the hospital and she just cut herself with a knife, don't you think Ben would be like, hey, do you want some gauze for your scars that are on your wrists? Right, and also we're going to take you to like a family counselor to figure out what the hell is happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That he brings her hot chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) That's halfway (laughs) <laughs> what kind of holistic <laughs> yeah. hospital is this? It's Swissmas. This will make you feel better. <laughs> uh, so then we get, you know, the gang splits up to look for Dawn. Buffy puts on this phenomenal jacket that I love. Oh, yeah, that is a great jacket. Can we talk about how she's, how all of a sudden she's like, you check the east side of Sunnydale, you check the west, and you check the center <laughs> of town. It's like, what kind of town, ta- What? <laughs> I, this is one where, like, at this point, like, give me a map. <laughs> now, now it's the there are there are wings to this town now. The West, West End, and, and there's a downtown. Listen, I'm surprised she didn't send someone to check the docks. That's normally their go-to. Right, like maybe Don is gonna go to the docks. <laughs> like what? I actually kind of really like the Buffy and Spike scene when they're searching together. Um, oh well, yeah. Yeah, Meredith, when she she was like, see, that's intimacy. Like, when they talk <laughs> like that. It is. Are, it's happened a few times, but they're setting us up for, I mean, at that point, I'm in, you know? Right, I... With them. I really, I really like that scene. You know, because Spike... St- and Spike says it, and he's not even doing it, I don't think, um, he's not trying to say, what do I say to be comforting? Because we see him try and fail in other ways in other scenes prior to this. But this feels like Spike's just saying the truth, right? He's like, yeah. you'll find her. You will find her. Like, he's reassuring her, but he also believes it. Yes. Yeah, and you're right. It's a natural thing, and it's, a, ironically, a soulful thing. And yeah. Um, and he's helping. Yes. He's 100% helping. And this is, I think, one of the first times where he's, like, just on board, right? 
we don't see her go to ask him for help. We don't see her pay him or anything. Like, he's just there helping. Yeah, and I think he's, like, even though it is her fault in the beginning, he's also taking some accountability. Right, yes. Um, he, he likes Don well enough, right? As yeah, much as he yeah. can like someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? My favorite is after they look and they don't find her, there's literally no segue. And Buffy just says, well, I guess we'll go check the hospital. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, they, they might as well, like, that's the one place in from the east to the west side that we haven't said. <laughs> no, like, she just, the, the problem is solved so easily by just Buffy being like, well, it's the one place we didn't look. But right. wouldn't that be the first place you would look? No, see, I would think she wouldn't want to be anywhere near it because it's such a traumatic place for the mom. Like, why would she? Oh, yeah, that's not, like they never like yeah, they never really go to the like. Dawn was actually really smart and was like, yes, these mental patients know something about me that I do not, so I will go to there. But they never really spell it out. It's just literally Buffy being like, well, I guess we'll just check Sunnydale Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> See what those losers are up to, <laughs> mumbling to themselves. And... So then we get uh, we get a uh, Glory and Dawn literally just like sitting around talking, and I kind of really love it. Mm. Um, you know, I, I thought of I thought of our, our one of our Scoobies, our regulars on our podcast, Joe Reed, was on for Glory's first episode, and he thought that if this show took place now, she might have been nominated for and or won an Emmy for her performance as Glory. And he's a big TV critic, and I kind of agree. I think she's doing some great work here. She, I mean, it's, her, her, her comedy is great, and, and yet she's also frightening. And, right? and I think those are, there are a few close calls where you, you know, she's staring at Dawn, like, oh God, she knows, and then right at the last minute, she doesn't. Um, and I think he's right. I mean, I think she, in a, you know, in a world where this network would get nominations, I think for sure. There was also a part at the end, like when she's kind of sizing Dawn up and gets really close. Yeah. That I don't know if this was my lesbian subtext kind of pinging, <laughs> and that's an inappropriate relationship. But I was like, there's something very, very seductive happening here, like towards the end. Yeah. Well, I think. Uh, but I. I wouldn't disagree with you. I think Glory exudes that, where like maybe she's flirty, but she's not flirting. She's not flirting in a. If this, I don't even know if this, this might not even make sense. She's not flirting in a sexual way. It's like, that's her personality because she's flirting yeah. with the minions, but clearly she thinks of them as like disgusting scabs and like, isn't trying to like have any like sexual interactions with them, but she's still flirty with them. Right. Yeah. So I think of it as like, almost like that's just like how she is with people. She is that way a little bit with, I mean, she's hor- like frightening to Tara when yes. that whole thing goes down, but she is still like playing. It's like, she's, it's like playing with her food a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like holding her hand. Yes. There's just a playfulness to everything she does that makes it sinister. Like this, like it or yeah. something like that. Like, yeah. a ch- like it's like they want to exude this funness that makes everything they do a little bit more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I've seen, you know, this episode, even now I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is stressing me out because Glory very easily could have like snapped Dawn's neck or like broken a body part, you know, with, like, very, very quickly and very easily. Yeah. I can't believe you're a god and you don't figure it out, right? Like, god to me says you're very powerful and... Yeah, but she's limited on our on our. Yeah, brain. that's right. She yeah. has to suck up brains. And I feel like she's, yeah, because I put, like, Claire Kramer delivers the intimidating and powerful yet 
completely unstable thing perfectly. Like, it's like when she's talking to Dawn about, like, when she talks about the tea, she gets so worked up that, like, she looks like she's about to have, like, a nervous breakdown or, like, murder yeah. someone. Yeah, that it is a great scene where she's clearly losing it. And... Yeah. And I, so, and when Glory, when Glory says to Dawn, I forget what Dawn goes to say, and she's like, shh, I kind of want to hear me talking now. That's a great line. It's I want to use that line. Yeah. <laughs> That's like gay Twitter. (laughs) 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 I love Buffy walking in and just saying conversations over hell, bitch. I know I say this a lot and Buffy's my hero and she just is, but like, you know, Buffy, and I mean, you were saying earlier, like the parallels with like Buffy as a superhero. I think she does have Spider-Man level banter. Uh, I mean, maybe better in some sense because Spider-Man's different depending on who's writing him. Uh, but I think her banter is, like, on par with, like, any kind of, like, superhero that's on their own. Uh, and I just love that she jumps in and immediately is there to protect her sister. She doesn't, like, stop, even though Gloria's kicked her ass every time they've interacted. She's still, like, throwing herself at the problem, and that's why I love Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> no, and her banter, I would say, is, like, it's always, it's always on point. I mean, she kills them with a line, and then she actually kills them. <laughs> Slay, slay, twice. Um, there was something Meredith brought up when we watched the episode, which goes a bit earlier, was like when... Oh, what, yeah. yeah do you want to talk about Oh, it? yeah. This t- so we watched it together, and of course I've seen it maybe 900 <laughs> times. And, and, and what I noticed is that every time I see it, there's a moment um, where Giles leaves after Don figures this news out, and he offers to stay, and Buffy dismisses him, saying, this is just family. Yeah. And it, every time it brings a little bit untrue, where I, I understand he might not be there and he's not the three of them, but Giles' role in her life, um, Giles' role in her life, like, changes so much from watcher to teacher to parent to um, so many things. And obviously we know that Joyce's relationship to him changes a million times. Like, there's resentment, there's, I mean, sex while candy barring. And, um, <laughs> but what she says, this is family. It's always very hurtful to me when he leaves that there are so many other ways to say like my mom and I will handle this, but it was a line that like breaks me every time a little bit. And I don't think it's intended for that purpose. I mean, you're, you're right though. That did stick out to me when she was like, it's a family thing. I'm like, but like the, the show's theme is like chosen family and that you are all a family. Right. Like like, Giles has raised you. Yeah. (laughs) And to say, you know, we just need her to know she's a blood relative right now, even though she's like a ball of whatever. Um, But it it was interesting when when we saw it last week, it came up again, where I was like, oh, I hate hearing that line. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, Joss Whedon has spoken about the theme of season five being family. And I've always thought that, I mean, that's kind of, I'm not the biggest season five fan. And and it's always so funny to me that that becomes the theme because it's almost like making this argument for biological family on a show that is all about non-biological families. And that line always, it's, it's, it's very interesting because Giles is family to Buffy, but, and he's obviously fucked Joyce, but Joyce also (laughs) is like very wary of Giles, like, and the influence that he's had on Buffy. And then, because Dawn is a figment, we don't know what Dawn and Giles' relationship is like. So it is interesting to, like, not include him when you were talking about family, but, like, that, for all intents and purposes, is Buffy's father and 
her like strongest family time. Yeah, we totally see that in, you know, the minute that what that's her first phone call, right? I mean, I won't jump ahead to the, that episode, but he sort of definitely fills the role after Joyce is gone. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. But so back to this fight scene, I actually really love this fight scene um, because I, I feel like for me, we already know, like at this point, there's no like pretending we don't know Glory could pretty much murder everyone in the room, including Buffy. Uh like, we know she's super strong. We know she could probably punch through the floor. Um, and I like that it's, like, in this tiny room. So, for me, it's, like, more high stakes because everyone's so close. Uh, you know, even... Xander hit his crowbar. Yeah, I was going to say, even Xander hitting her with a crowbar. I'm like, no, you're too close. She could break your arm off. <laughs> like... <laughs> and I kind of love when Buffy goes to kick her and she grabs her leg and she's like, I really love these shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like we had a uh, Dax exclamation point from RuPaul's Drag Race on and oh, wow. he kept saying that Glory is a drag queen and I, I think about that now yeah. like right <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> and the kind that will take no heckling nonsense oh yeah during the show, you know the yeah kind, the that kind that if you try like, to get on stage she's throwing you off the stage yeah there's like that one cis straight girl that's there you know really drunk <laughs> It was like, I love this Celine Dion song. Be like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I want to hear me talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And just the spell that they put on her. Are we there yet or not? Yeah. 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 The spell they put on her and that when they're like, where does she go? And they're like, we're not really sure. <laughs> I really love that. <laughs> and, and it gives you a hint. Like in that moment, you're like, wow, that took so much for willow yeah that, yeah her nose bleeds like 11 and stranger things <laughs> i think I, I i i thought that same thing and i thought maybe stranger things took it from this for some oh, reason they did they took stuff from everything <laughs> that's why we're like oh i remember that but i, I don't really think remember. of other famous nosebleeds like two powerful nosebleeds the only thing that comes to my mind is law in lost because of the time travel anyone who's like time displaced gets really bad nosebleeds Oh, okay. Yeah. Something I always wish we got more of was watching Willow and Tara work together for a big spell like that in the field. Like, not just, like, sitting in their room doing a spell that might help them find something. Like, them in a fight doing a spell to help in the action. Yeah. Right, because Tara doesn't... I mean, she... Willow has orchestrated some massive spells, but not with Tara. You're right, it's mostly, like weird stuff in their dorm yeah maybe would have stepped on charm's toes you know <laughs> be like hey guys we got that covered on a different night <laughs> but i so i really like that like for me i'm like i'm so proud of them like they helped in the fight <laughs> and it's not soon after that that uh tara will even be able to condone any of it so right, right. uh you know and i i also do love that glory twice now we've seen her curse <laughs> when the first episode when her and buffy fight and the building collapses on her, she mouths, I think it's she mouths, oh shit, and here she does it again before she drops. It's like she mouths, oh shit, but then it was falling. Uh, but I love her drop. It's so far. Right? <laughs> like, so up in the, like, cartoon, like, Wiley Coyote off the cliff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Also, like, when she falls and there's, like, a trail of light behind her, it was very, yeah. like, when the Power Rangers would teleport. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> 
right behind them. Or it's like the more you know, NBC, PSA. <laughs> star just dun 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 dun. Here drops glory. <laughs> and then we get Buffy telling, and I know that it's like, ugh, but I definitely cried watching her be like, no, you're my sister. We have the same blood. Like, and then they hug, and I don't know. I have a lot of feelings. No, it's good. It's all necessary because they're about to, like, rip your heart out. So it's, like, the necessary bonding of Buffy and Dawn so that when, you know, when they suffer the same loss. But I definitely don't feel like, I think they tied up the ends for this episode, but I don't feel like Dawn's trauma is finished. Like, I don't think she's, like, okay. Like, I didn't get the sense that she's, like, I mean, there was a bit of, like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) We're together now. Yeah, but I still don't think she's really come to terms with everything that just happened in that episode. I want to say, well, it's a TV show, but then, like, season six is, like, a season-long arc of Buffy's trauma, so. (laughs) I guess, is she a MacGuffin? Like, if she's the key? Like, is she? Yeah, she's, uh, I guess. That's Kind of. She yeah. kind of is. I guess she is. Well, yeah, I guess she is. Now that we're there, favorite outfit, Meredith? Well, <laughs> I think, I mean, it's so hard not to pick Glory because I think everything Glory wears, they like, I mean, even Buffy makes fun of it, like her look, but yet her look is so intentional. But I think that in the first scene, Buffy has a scarf on. Yeah. And with the hoops, right? The magic yeah. Season five hoops. And <laughs> I feel like where is he buffing a scarf after Dracula? I'm like thrall. Where <laughs> <laughs> I want to rip it off like Riley does. <laughs> so I think just the idea that Buffy has had some sort of like scarf. Cl- like I want to know where she keeps the scarves, <laughs> the next, the next scarves. Um, I really love that first scene. And you know, you're right about the jacket, but that first scene for whatever reason, just harken back to the first episode of season five for me with the scarf. All right. All right. Uh, Sarah. Well, uh, mine's silly, but it's uh, it's when Ben is the glory hole, so it's Glory's <laughs> face, and then Ben's like black or like the hospital. Yeah, but he's not in Scrubs, is he? I yeah, mean, I think I he is. Yeah. Okay, like... but um, there's a part earlier where he's not, and he's like in black clothes. <laughs> but I don't know. I just like imagining Glory's face coming on to whatever masculine outfit Ben would be wearing but like it's still his body so it's like this weird Sarah I love this queer fantasy (laughs) no but but I also like when Glory gets hurt I mean does she get hurt but like when she fights or whatever does Ben then feel it when she leaves they kind of seem to be like well I mean we know that when when Glory becomes Glory she has no memory of Ben's it's like separate yeah I don't know about her body in pain oh okay um, and yeah. I think he would die if he felt the pain she did, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because like if I Buffy also, punched him across the room, he would be dead. Yeah, I guess I always too. I don't really pay too much attention to fashion, but I always like Joyce's look. She just looks so like <laughs> she makes an effort, but it's not too much, and like she's you know oh, she's a modest queen. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's very secure with herself. Her hair is always kind of the same way. And, and in this, don't we get the head wrap? Like she's she's sort of recovering, but yeah. she's got some like head wrap on the couch that looks really fantastic. Yeah, she's just a divine lady. And I always remember the actress from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, <laughs> which, who is um, the boy's mom next door. And she's just like the one calming down her like kind of 
husband who's eager to go on the camping trip. And she's like, I'm sure they're fine. It's like, they're not fine. Matthew, favorite outfit? I did love Buffy's coat. So I'm going to say Buffy's coat, like you had pointed out. Um, For me, it's that whole outfit does it for me because like Meredith mentioned that, you know, I love a hoop um, and Buffy with the hoops. And like, I like her. I like Buffy in all black, but of course I do. Um, Because that's like what I wear. Uh, But I like whatever that like sheer top is with like the white tank top underneath and then the coat on top. I'm really buying it. But a, a close <laughs> like, second is Buffy with is uh, Glory in her like glittery like pants and top, killing the knights. I'm into it. Favorite scene, Sarah? Oh gosh. Um, I guess my favorite scene is um, Dawn ripping the room apart. <laughs> but I just feel like they should have like Alanis's "You Ought to Know" in the background. Meredith, favorite scene? I think it would just have to be Buffy and Spike in their second. Um, their less confrontational search uh, because it does set us up. And I think that like, I have so many complicated feelings about the shittiness of Riley and that breakup and um, him being marketed as her finally dating someone who can be the good guy. Mm-hmm. And for them to start really playing with the fact that Riley himself was bad in many ways. And that Spike who is everyone hates and, you know, might actually see her for who she is. Um, the positives and the negatives. Like, I, you know, it, it's just a great scene to set up. You're right. Like, you know, whoever said that he naturally says, you'll find her because I have faith that you will because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, and the, the look on his face is 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 empathetic. And I think, you know, I know you guys have talked about, like, the sort of, does he have a soul or not? Because yeah. he, cert- he certainly plays it that way. And I, I just, I really like that scene. Right. Matthew? Um, I'm actually going to go with the scene that is just like Dawn and Spike talking because I think that it's one of the first times that they've had an extended scene together and it's before they even get to the magic box just when they're outside the house and I think that they wrote each other's anxieties really well because she understands that he has anxiety about his relationship to Buffy and he understands her anxieties about the way that Buffy and everyone sees her and there's like a lot packed into it. Huh, that's fair. Uh, my favorite is just that end fight scene with Glory in the hospital room. Uh, okay, now we're going to grade the episode. Matthew, what do you grade the episode? Um, I think I'm going to give it a B minus. Oh, okay. I'm between like B minus and C plus, but this, whenever I go back to the episode, I think about how overstuffed it is and how there's just too much. To me, there's like, she runs away twice in the same episode and there it's just like, there's a lot of, of things that are head scratchers, like how they decide to go to the hospital. There just is like, to me, so many, there's too much happening. And I wish that they would sit with some of the emotional beats more. All right. Uh, Meredith. I'm also, I mean, this sounds awful. Like a C plus B minus, because for that very reason, there's so many things. It does feel it, the whole wait, Ben is glory. And then we have to learn that people are going to forget that is so overshadowed by the fact that everybody else has just learned on is the key that it's actually an episode that I think one of the reasons I've seen it so many times is that I've had to go back and watch it to remember the lore to, to, to retain it for, for subsequent episodes. So, you know, it, it's a connector, but it's, they could have done a whole episode with just that one reveal. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, I'm going to give it a B plus because um, there is a lot of emotions in it. There's a lot of feelings, a lot of temper tantrums, a lot of, um, I mean, granted there is a lot of exposition, 
which can bog it down a little bit, um, and it happens so fast. But I just, um, I'm just rooting for Michelle Trachtenberg in whatever role. <laughs> yeah, can we give her an A? Can we, yeah, can we, can give, episode, we can but... give Michelle an A, A minus. Well, or we could. Uh, I'm going to give the episode an A. I'm the. I'm clearly the wow, easy moderator. Because okay. I do agree with all of your critiques are fair, um, but I don't know. For me, like. I think you're right, Matthew, that, like, we maybe needed to stop with some emotional beats. But for me, this is why, the like, these last 10 or 12 episodes of season five work for me. Because it's just, like, there's constantly a lot of shit going on, especially once this episode starts. Like, everything with Glory is so much. Um, and for me, I feel like maybe that's on purpose. I could be wrong. But I just, it works for me. Um, yeah, and I give it a day. Um, thank you both for joining us. Thank um, you for having us. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow SlayerFest on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew on Twitter, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. If you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at IanXCarlos. And if you want to follow our lovely guests, where can they find you? Sure. I'm uh, on Twitter at Sarah Farazon. So no H after Sarah and Farazon is ethnic. So you'll have to Google that, but it's <laughs> F-A-R-I-Z-A-N. And I'm at Meredith Goldstuff, like Goldstein up until the E, because my name is so freaking long. Um, <laughs> but all of that's at MeredithGoldstein.com. And don't forget, if you like us, to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We can be found on Google Play and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Um, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.